Blog Talk Radio. I recently quit my job and took on a new venture in life. Welcome to Music from People I Know, where I catch up with friends, past and present, and talk about our music, inspiration, and passions. With a 15-year professional career in the music industry, I have met a lot of cool and interesting people. I'm here to share our stories. Here I'm on the show today, I've got Sarah Alt. She uh, grew up in Burbank with me. We're, we went to opposite schools, but me growing up in the neighborhood I did, I knew everybody at both schools because it was kind of where I lived. And, you know, I grew up knowing Sarah through friends and stuff like that. And, you know, she's done a lot of music throughout the years, playing around. And, you know, it sounds like you took like a three-year break. Was that a, was that a planned break or was that something you just decided to... Uh, just happen upon yeah i uh oh first of all thanks for having me uh yeah, I, absolutely. I was you know i was recording my second album and in it was in 2015 and i went on a tour kind of in the middle of that album i think that was when i last saw you that was yeah that was yeah 2015 so like I was in the process of recording my second album when I took that tour. And that was because like I had the tour planned already. And then something like in my personal life happened um, kind of in the process of recording that pushed the recording process back. So instead of like having the album done and then going on the tour, I kind of just like picked up in the middle of recording and went on tour anyway, and then came back and finished the album. Okay. And it felt like by the time I was done with that album, I didn't have anything left in me. Like, I think that uh, combined with what that personal event that had happened, I just, it kind of took the wind out of my sails in a way that I just needed to like hunker down and be alone. And that for me, time. yeah. And like I moved Um, I moved away from where I had been living into a tiny house in the mountains outside of LA into Topanga (laughs) Canyon. It was amazing. I lived in a, in literally a 200 square foot box in the woods. And I'm planning on building like 10 of those out here. (laughs) Yeah. It's awesome. It's a really cool like movement. And if you can, you know, pare down your life and live that way, it's, it's a really wonderful thing. But, um, so I moved. I moved there, basically, I moved there two weeks before the release of the album. I played the record release show and maybe one other show. And then I kind of just, it wasn't really a calculated choice. It just felt like the right thing to do. I, I started feeling, when people would ask me to play shows, I started feeling almost anxiety where I was like, I don't want to. I didn't want to. I just like didn't I didn't feel like I had anything to give to people. And so I spent that I spent basically a year and a half living there and I really thought, "Oh, while I live here, I'm probably going to write the next album and like I'm going to be so inspired." And the truth is is I didn't write one song while I lived <laughs> and which was another weird thing. And then I thought, "Well, shit, maybe I maybe I'm done." 
maybe like maybe music was a thing that like I needed it as an outlet when for that time. Yeah, like when I was younger or like more angsty and now I also, you know, I've been wanting to kind of transition into writing happier music for a long time, but I have a lot of judgment uh towards happy songs cuz it's really hard. <laughs> it's it's hard to make a happy song sound genuine and not cheesy. Jesus, and so hard. You know, it's really easy to um it's really easy for me to describe my suffering, but it is not easy for me to describe joy or feeling, you know, good about the place that I'm in without sounding like absolute cheese ball. So I kind of just wasn't doing. And then during that process, I fell in love uh, and he lived in another country and we traveled back and forth basically for that kind of that whole year and a half that I was living there. Um, I was like in and out of the country. And so that was another thing. It was like, well, I'm kind of just doing something else. And then the first song that I wrote back uh, was, was in England when I was like visiting him, which I thought was so funny. Cause I, I was so prepared to like, hunker down in this little tiny house in the woods and write all this shit. And then I didn't, you know, and then when the finally, when I finally did break through and write a new song, I was in England. So I was like, Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, that, love that, struck. I was love struck and still am. <laughs> We're married now. <laughs> right. so, so, so do you think that had, that had an effect to the song? Yeah. I mean, and and I still even after even after I wrote that song, which kind of sounds sad still, but it is a more positive look on it. Um, yeah. I still after that was like felt, you know, I, that was I wrote that song and I and then I didn't write another song for like you know months because I just I still didn't feel like I had a handle on what I was. And and also, I really wanted to change my sound. It's hard to change your sound. You know, I play the piano and I sing. So right. to, to go forward and go, okay, well, I'm going to change my sound. Okay, well, what do you do? Well, I play the piano and sing. That You know, like, it's like trying to paint a new style using the same medium that you were using before. That's, a, so, that's like the definition of crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Trying to do the same thing and get a different result. Yeah, so I just, I felt I kind of just felt like I was stuck in a a place that I didn't know how to get out of. Um, so is that when you started then, to sing backups? Yeah. So around the time that I was living there, um, two things happened. Like I, my cousin who. Uh, is now in my band. His name is JD. He moved out to LA from Ohio about four years ago. And during the last, like the first couple of years, he kept saying like, Hey, we should jam. And I, you know, to be honest, was intimidated at the idea of jamming. I don't jam. I like, I write a song and then I play it, you know, and I, I am not um, trained on the piano the way that I feel like some people are to be able to be like, Oh, this is in the key of G and we can just play. Cause I didn't know how to do that. 
And so instead of writing music while I was living in Topanga, JD would just come over and we would just jam. And that really just started with us just kind of learning Neil Young songs and like playing those together or um, Father John Misty songs that I was like, oh, I could learn how to do that because I do, I can play by ear. So if I hear something, I can learn it. And then kind of pushing myself from there to turn those into like jams, right? Right. And then, and then one day JD came to me with a guitar part and I was like, oh man, what's that? And he was like, oh, I, I wrote it. I've just been like playing with it for a while. And I was like, let's write something to it. And that like bore our first song together. And it was really, it just felt so good and so different. And when we played it for people, they were like, wow, like what, you know, what is this? Cause it just, it was clearly not Sarah alt music, which I was very pleased with. Right. Right. So then he and I had been doing that for a little bit, but you know, work and me still traveling and stuff. And then I moved um, out of that place. And, and then during that time I was like, well, music's not really doing anything. JD and I hadn't really decided to like form a band yet. And I had posted on Facebook that, I wanted to sing just with anyone because I am really uh, like proficient at finding harmonies and I love singing harmonies. And so so I posted this thing on Facebook and just said like, Hey, I want to sing. Do you have a project that you need backup singing for or yada, yada. And this girl that I have known, but just in passing really messaged me and said, Hey, I'm recording a demo. Would you want to sing on it? And she sent me the songs and I started writing some parts for them and thinking that, you know, it would benefit from having a second background vocalist. So I brought in my like very good friend and longtime backup singer, Devin Lee. Um, And so me and Devin started singing backup for this girl. And at first it was just a recording. And then she was like, Hey, I booked a show and playing shows with her has been like so just so different from what I do that it's like a great outlet. You know, we wear sequin dresses and, and do our hair like in 60s styles. And we're kind of, my mom keeps saying that we're like the Ikeettes, which were Ike Turner's backup singers. Like it's like a, you know, it's like a Supremes type. It's just such a cool and fun vibe that, like I said, is so different from the music that I had been writing that it just felt like a really good outlet. Um, right. And then kind of in that process, like over the last six months, basically uh, when my husband came out here in, he came out in September of last year and I realized that he had never seen me play a show because we were traveling back and forth, like the, our entire relationship And he just had never really had an opportunity to see me. And I was like, wow, I feel like, how can you even know me if you've never seen me perform? Because it's such a big part of my life for so long. So I put together a show, even though I had no new material. And, and when I was pulling together the band for that show during our rehearsals, we kind of had a moment where we were all like, this feels really good. 
and feels like maybe we should do this again. So after that show, we got together for a rehearsal and kind of like edged out all of my old songs that I had been playing and over the last six months have, have written, I guess we have six. So I have the song that I wrote when I was in England um, a couple years ago. And then we have six songs that were written with this band. And then there's like two or three more in the works. So it's like having gone from literally being unable to write anything for a really long time to just like every time I sit down at the piano or sit down with JD, I feel like we like have a new idea for a song and they're all pretty much happy, but they're, it's just a totally different direction than I was going. And it was like, it was exactly what I wanted and what I needed, but didn't know how to get. And then it just like came in a, you know, in a way that I was very unexpected. So did you ever (laughs) find that it's, challenging to keep relevant i mean i know that this has been kind of leading towards that but i mean it it's so hard to evolve as a musician how do you how do you stay relevant do you do you learn new things you you i it sounds like you've taken new approaches but is there more to it i mean what is relevant like I, I, you know, I think that I grew up as an artist, um, especially growing up in LA, you kind of see, you see what's possible, right? You see all the dreams that, um, people come here to fulfill and, and it's happening all around you all the time. And especially like my smash a hundred percent. Uh, but so you there's like this what if it's me what if my dreams never come true and what if blah 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 you know and I think that I found it very painful to be an artist for a really long time because I was coming from the mindset of like oh well I need to have a record or I need so and so many followers on Facebook or MySpace music back in the day, you know? And I think that the moment that I let that go and really just decided to embrace playing music for, and not for like, Oh, what do I have to do to stay relevant to whatever? Like I, I try, I wrote songs that I thought were quote relevant or or poppy or radio friendly for a long time and they never did anything. So at this point, I just want to make music with people that I like and make music that I like. And if people like it and want to listen to it, then that's fantastic. And if they don't, then I'll just play for myself. Like I, I feel like I just play along. Yeah, like I just feel like I have like a new lease on a musical interest because I really during that time that I wasn't playing, I was like, you know, hard. It's a really hard business to be in. And that's the problem with so many musicians is that we're not business people. We're artists. And right. Who who don't have the means to be able to buy the business people to work for us. Mm mm. Yeah, so and there's business people to run these these establishments for us, but 
it's not easy and they're not cheap. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that like the answer to what do I do to maintain, to, you know, stay relevant is I, I, uh, I just find what makes me happy and do that. And I think that this day and age, people are happier to watch people do what they love versus watch them try to fit into this thing. That's like, Oh yeah, that's what's popular right now. Right. People are starting to break out of the box quite a bit more. Yeah. Or like remove the box completely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. I personally listen to like a full spectrum of music. And most of the time, like when I'm driving, that's like my quiet time because I, most environments I'm uh, in is so loud. Yeah, I listen to podcasts when I'm driving. Right on. No, make sure you subscribe to this one because uh, I do one every week. So. All right. So when you're when you're playing your music, do you do you find that you're trying to push boundaries? Like, you know, are are there walls that you have to take down when you're when you're writing a song? Like, do you do you worry about you know certain subjects and topics? Um, I mean, for me, I have always kind of just written about love, (laughs) which was another thing that I was like, this is boring. I don't want to do that anymore. So for me to write, like I have a new song with this band called Shadow Man that is about religion. I never thought that I would write a song about religion. um, And it's obviously kind of a touchy subject but I felt like I had something to say about it. And it actually songs for me come, you know, I'll just get some random thought or idea in my head. And, and, and that one started with, I had this line in my head saying like, but I believe that there's a shadow man watching over me. And, uh, and then I realized like what I was really saying was that like, I don't, I don't believe in in the God of most people's understanding and that's okay because I do believe that like something, obviously, like if you don't think that like something bigger than us is at work here, then, you know, you've never like seen outer space or <laughs> right. realized that we're literally just a speck of dust in this entire like expanse of the universe. Right. Yeah. We're just that um, yeah, I mean, and, and, and that's another thing that I've been thinking about lately. Like, anytime I'm sad or, like, upset about something or, like, oh, am I relevant? Like, dude, no. <laughs> <You're not. laughs> like, right? I was, I was telling someone the other day, I was like, the greatest news is nothing matters. And right. it, it matters enough that, like, you should be a good person and try to, like, just be happy and, like, live your life right. But nothing matters. We're all just like, exactly. And even sometimes not right. There are people who don't have that food and water. There you go. You know, and And some marijuana, (laughs) you know, your thing. Happy 420 y'all. Yeah. Happy 420. It is 420 for us today. It won't be when we're playing this. It'll be 422, but it's okay. I celebrate 420. 420 is a lifestyle. <laughs> it absolutely is. Well, my birthday is on the fifth day of 420, so 
You know, I, I celebrate, you know, the 10 days of 420 because it's uh, a very special time for me. Hey, it looks like uh, something just popped up on the screen here. I wonder what mm-hmm. that is. An 800 number? <laughs> oh, I didn't get it. <laughs> I'm going to kick it out because I don't know what it is. I don't trust it. It should be private. All right. Anyways, sorry about that. That's so all right. With this new pro- with this new project that you got, it's uh, you and a drummer. Can you tell us a, a little bit more about that? That's you, you and your husband. Uh, I've I've gathered. No, not at all. No. no. Okay, I missed that. Um, so it's your it's your uh, JD is your cousin. JD is my cousin. He's the guitar player, and okay. then I have Charles Ruggiero, who's a wonderful drummer who I've known for a really long time and he played some drums on the last album, but he was living in New York. And I feel like when he lived here before, we just like, didn't know each other. I mean, I feel like our musical lives like weren't ready to really intertwine yet. And then when he was gone, I just kept thinking like, man, I wish Charles lived here because he is who I would want to be kind of in my corner. Um, and he moved back and I, that's who I hired to come and play that show um, when we played for my husband. And he basically has been the driving force of this group because, you know, I think my cousin JD and I, you know, we just, we were playing together and like had been noodling around and like wrote like two songs and, but after we had those couple of rehearsals and Charles has been playing for years, he's been in a ton of bands. He's toured a bunch. His dad was a, a really well-known jazz musician. Uh, he is an incredible jazz drummer who plays with like really heavy hitters all the time. And he said to me like, dude, this band is like what I want to be doing. And I was like, holy shit, like, if Charles is in, I feel like I'm in. We can, like, do this and, like, push for something different, you know, push for something a little bit better than playing, you know, the same bar once a month for five years, which is, like, kind of what I did because I was just uninspired, right? Um, Right. And so once I had Charles and JD and I kind of working together for this common goal – it felt just so organic and we just started having rehearsals like once a week and, and working on that. And then I also have my friend Devin, who is my all the time singer. Basically I think that like, if my voice is great, my voice with Devin's voice is like unstoppable. Like I prefer my voice with the sound of her voice layered over it. You know, like I'd rather just hear us together all the time. Um, and so there's and then, something that happens with the pairing of voices. Uh, it's just like, it brings things together, I think. Yeah. And you, people try to do it with their own voice and layer that like copy paste their voice. And that's and possible that just doesn't too, do but it. yeah. And there's something about doing it live. Um, I think harmonies are, I could, I could just listen to people singing harmony all the time. Um, and so I have Devin and then, we have another singer that 
we just actually brought on. Her name's Tiara, and she is super cool. I met her at a show with when I was playing with that other girl, Jen. Um, and she came up to me afterwards, just like, I saw you singing backup for this girl. And I just want to know more about you. Are you, do you have your own band? And I was like, I do. And she's like, I used to be <laughs> a backup so singer. She, I, she said, I used to be a backup singer and just watching you do it. Just, I just have so much respect for what you're doing. And I was like, thanks so much. Wait, so you used to sing? And she was like, yeah, I, I still sing. And I was like, cool. Do you want to audition for my band? Because we need a third singer. So we just met a few weeks ago. And we actually had our first vocal rehearsal with her yesterday. But we have our first show in like a week and a half. So I was like, hey, you want to get in on this? So I think right. that as of now, she's uh, in the band, which is fantastic. Because awesome. to me one of the things that made this kind of incarnation of the band so good was having basically three part harmonies on the majority of the songs. And that it just brings like this element to it that feels so good and so different to me to have three main, like main vocalists. I mean, I'm, I'm like the front person and I sing most of the, the, leads um but there's a song where each one of them has their own verse that they wrote themselves so i'm trying to like whereas every band every time i've ever played music before it's really been like sarah and everyone's learned the songs that i wrote and this is my vision for it and right now having a band that like we all write together is really really cool and so I want it to be more of like an all-inclusive thing. And so it's like a collective. Yeah, and when we were and when we were thinking of a name, I mean, it kind of just was decided that like because because I am still the front person and I am the primary songwriter of it, everyone was like, yeah, we should just call it Sarah Alt and the something, which will make it, you know, more uh it's different it's, you know, obviously a differentiation from my old music but still telling people like hey i'm still here this is like still my project type of thing right well but, i did that yeah. with my with my buddy brock we were uh brock mcleod in the voodoo orchestra you know and we were the voodoo orchestra and he's brock mcleod but you know it, it's mainly his band you know so yeah I, I i get that approach it's a great way to go with it i think and and also so we are called sarah Altima supernatural and supernatural is two words, like not supernatural, like, like magic stuff, but supernatural to like, Oh, Hey, that's really organic, which is kind of what, <laughs> how it all happened. It just felt super natural to like do what we were doing. Right. And, um, I also am open to the idea of like, once it kind of gets a little bit of traction, dropping my name off completely and just being the supernatural. Uh, right. But as of now, I think like it's, easier to get people to come out to your shows um you know like your page when they go oh sarah alt like i know her as opposed well, to like another oh, tag this, name. yeah like what's this band the supernatural that's adding on facebook it's like you ignore that shit you know right but I you mean, see sarah alt and you're like oh hey i want to click that hopefully so speaking <laughs> of that do you guys have a web page uh we do own 
supernaturalmusic.net, but the website is not live yet. Um, but as of now, we have a Facebook page that's, I think it's Sarah Alt and the Supernatural on Facebook. And also on Twitter, it's called Supernatural Music. Sarah so Alt that would be at Super, That'd be at Sarah Alt. What was the rest of that for Twitter? For uh, for Instagram, sorry. It's um, at super, super underscore natural underscore music. You can't space it on Instagram. Right. It's so silly, all the different rules. I hate all the different rules. You got to make up <sighs> a new password every time and blah, blah. God, why can't you people just it? stop trying to attack my computer? <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, there I went and ummed. Yeah. Hey, we've both been really good about that. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's re- that's a really interesting thing we were talking about before the po- the broadcast was. You know, there's a lot of language vi- variables. We use words like um and like. See, I just used two of them in one sentence, like um. Like, and um, it's so common, but it's so boring. Yeah, there's just other ways to express yourself, I think. Right? So yeah. so how can you describe the difference between the music now to the music that you were writing before? Is there, you know, is there a different drive? Is there, you know, does it come from somewhere else? Is it the same passion? Uh, yes. And no to the passion question. Uh, I think, you know, my drive to play music has always been something that just like has pushed forth from my insides, right? Like I I didn't go like, oh, I want to be a musician. Like I just was. I just sing all the time and I have songs that literally just show me. And, And thank God I have the kind of some technical skill enough to express what I'm hearing because they literally just play in my head like a radio station sometimes. And I'm like, Oh, what, what is that? You know? Um, so that's like a, my, my drive to like be a musician has always just been there. I think that I just decided to have more fun with music than I used to. And I don't, I just don't want to write sad songs anymore. And I just recently had a another personal situation with a very close friend of mine where we kind of just decided to maybe just go in different directions for a minute. I'm not sure like where that story ends or picks back up or whatever. And I had a moment where like I sat down at the piano and I started to write a sad song about it at my wheelhouse. That's what I know how to do. And that's what feels cathartic for me when I'm going through something. And I, I wrote the first verse and it was actually really good. I was like, oh man, this could be really good. And then I just went, you know what? I don't want to sing this song. I don't want to, I don't want to continue to relive this trauma or whatever every time I play a show because it was a thing that I so now I feel like I pretty much am only writing songs about like 
positive uh, positive experiences in relationships, be it friendships or love relationships or kind of a political-ish stance to religion or I have a song called The Feelings that is maybe the saddest song that we have, but it's not really sad as much as, as it is moody. And it that's just about human beings and like the human condition and how kind of everyone is dealing with their own set of problems that causes them to be or act a certain way. And so that's like, it's more like human psychology as opposed to like, Oh, you hurt me and I'm here now sad about it. And so that's something that's like really different in the music. And then also my music for the longest time was just like singer, songwriter, piano music. And whereas like I used to love being compared to like Fiona Apple or Tori Amos or, you know, other pian like Regina Spector. Now we're feeling more compared to like um, Fleetwood Mac or like, you know, like I want to have, I just want to have fun and do more of like a, a fun gypsy rock 70s vibe. <laughs> and, and it's amazing how, how that's just, a, that's just like happened. It's like groovy and funky. And these are all words that I've never used to describe my music before. Is that, is that kind of inspiring in its own way to be able to describe your music differently? Is that something that you've all, you, it sounds like you've been trying to do that now that you can do that. Does that just open the doors to more? Yeah. And I think it like, it, uh, it makes me feel yeah, like, because now that I know, like, what we're doing, then it's almost easier to write within the parameters of, like, oh, yeah, this is what you sound like now, kind of. Um, we have this other song called Touch Me that, like, I wrote after listening to this band, Tennis. They're, like, a new band, but they have such a cool kind of, like, 70s rock electric electronic vibe I don't even know what they would categorize themselves as but after like listening to them every day for a week I wrote this song and I was like oh my god it sounds like tennis but like all still within the realm of like what our music was doing anyway which is really cool so so having everybody else's opinion in on the song really kind of molds the song into something what you never could have ever imagined on your own. Do you yeah, feel like? Because, Go ahead. No. I was just going to say, yeah, because we're operating from such a different place and there's things that I just would never have thought of, you know, like, and, and sometimes that, and sometimes that means um, compromising, which I think, why I was stuck for so long is because I was kind of unwilling to compromise. Um, I would, you know, write these songs and be like, no, no, this is how it goes. And like the, no squeedleys you know, here. This is a dun-dun part. Yes, exactly. And now I kind of just, just in the same way that I'm like, dude, nothing matters. So like when I'm like, feel like fighting for something like, no, I really need to 
I mean, like right now we're having this issue with one of our songs where I just, I want to finish the line a different way. And my drummer thinks that I need to overlap the vocal in this other way. And, you know, I'm not sure who's going to win that one, but I know that whatever happens is going to be okay. And it's probably going to be for the, for the best of the band because so it'll be, it'll be what's right for the song, right? Yeah. And, and, and all of us seem to kind of have that too. We're like, well, you know, that's not really what I would have done, but it, it'll end up being, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> and, and if one of us feels so strongly about something, we'll just be like, no, this is a hard no from me. It's going to go this way. And then, you know, if we're not being too unreasonable, everyone else will be like, yeah, okay. Right. Well, Hey, your show's, uh, what was the date on that? I, I lost my notes. Somebody called me. So what was it's the date? May it was at 1st. the Mint. May uh, 1st. Tuesday, May 1st at the Mint. All right. And that's uh, Sarah Alt and the Supernaturals, right? Uh, supernatural. Oh, Supernatural. Drop that S. Drop that S. Make it two words. Yeah, two words. Make that two words. Look her up on Facebook. <laughs> On uh, on the on the on the Twitter and the the Instagram there, on there's the lots Instagram. of them. Yeah, that on that in on that there interweb, you know. <laughs> it's really yeah, funny. It's what all I've the been cool out here for. Doing. I've been out here for like ten years, and and my lingo has changed so much and so drastically from what I grew up with to this like molded Colorado California blend of talking. It's really weird. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, and I look forward to seeing some music. Uh, if you post it onto the onto my my Facebook, I'll get a link into on your web sh- on your your thing whenever you get it posted up on the info. Awesome! I will have it as soon as I get it. You'll have it <laughs> as soon as I have it. Awesome. Well, uh, look forward to hearing from you later. Have a good one. Sweet. Thanks for having me. Bye. All right. That was uh, my interview with Sarah Alt. We uh, recorded that on Friday because she couldn't make it today. She had some events come up and she had to get to work and do what we do as musicians. So my next guest is Guy or Guido Zaza. And he's a friend of mine, again, from California. Um, he's been around the back and forth from Columbia and California, and he and I met when we were working at Fernandez Guitars in uh, San Fernando Valley. Uh, he was the <coughs> excuse me. He was one of the sales reps, and I was one of the uh, technicians in the back, and we started to play some music and stuff like that. And I heard some of his music, and I'm going to play you one of his songs real quick, and and we'll uh, start the interview for you.
So that was from Juanita Dientes Verdes, their Colombian rock band. And that was uh, uh, Guido Ezada on, on lead vocals and songwriter and lead of the band. Um, so he's my next guest on the show. So let's check out the uh, interview. So let's, uh, let's get into this. What was the music like when you, uh, l- what, when you were a kid? What were you listening to? Well, I remember my first record was Kiss Destroyer. I was uh, about four or five years old. Kiss was marketed to kids, you know. We had Kiss dolls, Kiss posters, and all that sort of stuff. And I also remember having like a 45 of Blondie, like Rapture or something like that, or um, stuff like And I remember listening to ACDC. But then, you know, then again, you're a kid, so you're kind of more exposed to, like, you know, what was radio back then. I lived in the States, in L.A., so I kind of was exposed to what my mom would listen to, which was, like, Kiss FM. So you kind of, you know, you kind of do your own thing. You get into what you like, and then you're kind of exposed to other things as you start growing up. And as you get a little bit older, you start refining back to what you really want, you know. But uh, I guess I started off as Kiss, and I always, you know, liked what was rock and roll, you know. I remember watching Elvis movies and stuff like that. And um, I remember the Monster Mash, dude. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, ben, ben Henley. What's his name? I can't remember. You know, the Monster Mash. Everybody knows the Monster Mash. Yeah. So all that stuff is, you know, all that stuff is rock and roll to me, you know. So it, it has part of, you know, all that. All that's part of in my essence. But, um, yeah, so, but as far as to listening to music that I first, you know, when I came more of age, um, more of a consciousness to what I wanted to listen to, um, when I was about 12 or 13, uh, or a little, or 11 or something, I started skating. So eventually I, I found my way to suicidal tendencies. Um, then I also, my best friend, um, his name is Richard, his older brother, he was also, he, he also listened to a lot of music. So another, another, uh, uh, means of 
information coming, you know, coming my way of finding out about bands and stuff like that. I'm hearing Iron Maiden, for example, the first was through this guy, his older brother. He was about 20 when we were about 11 or so. So that was more information coming into me. And, and I heard of The Cure through him and stuff like that. So, and then, you know, from, you know, starting listening to The Cure, you, you know, I found my way to YouTube and, and all the, uh, um, the new wave stuff of mid eighties. And then, and then from that point on, you know, I, I started going back a little bit and, and then discovered punk, you know, maybe around 87 or something like that, discovered the Sex Pistols. And then uh, from that point on, it was just all punk and new wave to me. Right. So, you know, the 90s came along and kind of refreshed everything uh, with a little more rock, you know, and more, more riffage. So I got into the grunge and the alternative stuff. And I liked the, the UK. Uh, I really enjoyed the, uh, shoot, shoot, the shoegazer stuff and, you know, Stone Roses and uh, uh, Swerve Driver and then, you know, Smashing Pumpkins. They were kind of kind of a little bit of both worlds. And so that's, you know, and then I, I, I got into all that sub pop stuff. And I'm, we're talking like uh, 89, 90, 91. Um, when I happened, I was living in the States again. Um, Cause you know, my whole life is, I've, I've been years, a couple of years here, a couple of years there, back and forth. And here and there is uh, LA and uh, Medellin, uh, Colombia, yeah. right? Yeah, Medellin, Medellin Colombia and, and Los Angeles, is like my both homes, yeah. So I'm kind of like from both cities, but, but, but out here, people say I'm from the States, out there people say I'm from Medellin, so whatever. <laughs> you right, know, you're not from, from anywhere. <laughs> exactly. Oh man, that's got to be kind of a weird limbo. How? Wh- what? What is that like? Being, you know, not being from somewhere, but you're really from both places, and but everybody around you doesn't really think you're from anywhere. What's that like? Um. Well, it's more. Well, I've got Colombian parents, so it's not. It's not. It's not El Gringo here, you know, and kind of just like in a totally different culture where he doesn't know where he's at or anything. So it wouldn't but be like me going like, down there. Nah, nah, it's more, it's more, it was more of a sense of kind of adjusting. Time flows differently here than it does there. Um, and on my last, on my last comeback to Colombia, which is about going on nine years now, um, actually going on 10 years, I, I was speaking to one of my close friends and I'm like, you know, I'm used to the U S and I was coming out here. I want to, you know, put a studio, do this, do that, do label, do, you know, and you come to, from the States with all this, all these ideas because Medellin is a country where a lot of stuff hasn't happened yet. So there's a lot of things, there's opportunity to find, you know what I mean? To, you can dig up your own opportunity here. There's a lot of stuff to be done. So I want to come here and do it and do it quickly. But my culture shock, even being from here, though, was, was realizing that time flows differently. And I was talking to my friend, I'm like, dude, it's like fucking, you know. And uh, by the way, there's 26 national holidays a year here in Colombia. Yeah, what do we got here, like six? <laughs> like four or five or something like that. And, you know, I'm talking about days where you don't work. You know, a lot of the holidays, you got to work in the States. But out here, they're all, you know, they're all paid holidays. Um, so that, in a sense makes things go slower um the the weather here in in in, in colombia the weather there there are no stations there are no um seasons so 
pretty much depends on your altitude where you live. So we live in like a valley. It's like uh, it's a little high up in the mountains, but it's within a valley. So the weather we get here is springtime all year round. So um, and that that has positive effects. I mean, women are really beautiful. People take care of themselves. People are into you know um, girls wear skirts, um, sleeveless shirts. You know, so they take care. You know, everybody does exercise. It's a, it's a, everybody exercises, jogs. It's, you know, people take care out here because of that 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 spring thing. And I guess there's love in the air and stuff kind of vibe. But there's also with paradise. You know, wh- you know what's Adam and Eve? What do they do in paradise? You never all all you know is that they had an apple, right? Yeah, right. They pretty much. But then they it. created a family so, in the world. <laughs> Right, but that was after after they ate the apple. But yeah, after the apple. So, and that's the whole thing about paradise, because you don't have any, nothing changes. So everything is kind of like a constant, and it's and it's a very, uh, uh, it's a constant. So, and it's a spring constant. So everything is really chill and really relaxed. And people like, when you when you have a meeting with someone, all right, I'm gonna meet up with you at whatever, say eleven. There's a there's like a 15 20 minute period where it's okay to wait and it's like a given. It's weird though. So in that sense, everything's really slow. And I had a I had to get into the vibe where like I gotta understand that things don't work at my pace. Things have their own pace here. So then you kind of learn the idea of or the concept of flowing with things. Right, you know? slow in your roll. Right. So you kind of got to go with the flow here. You can't, you can't go faster than everybody else because everything's going to be slow for you. So you kind of got to get, in, get into that proper frequency. And so you so can't just come in and like take over. You have, you have to like conform. You can't just come in and take over. You, you, you sound yeah, like you tried no, that. It's just, yeah, exactly. But it's just how things work out here. You know, it's kind of hard to explain because it's a, it's a, it's in the psyche. Um, and, and it's kind of like, uh, get this dude. Uh, I remember a couple years ago, I was smoking, smoking some bud with, with some lots of fires from, from Jamaica. And their, their comment was, you guys smoke too much weed. We smoke, we smoke more weed out here than they do in Jamaica, dude. I totally <laughs> tripped out on that. But, you know. Oh shit. They would be like... Amazed at the amount of weed that I smoke, man. <laughs> I don't know how much you smoke though, but people smoke a lot, of, a lot of weed out here. You know, we get, I get, you get kind of a little older, so you know, I just smoke my little, my little, my little, my little pin joints, and I'm good. <laughs> yeah, I smoke grams at a time. <laughs> That's quite a bit. <laughs> Did that answer your question? Yes. What was the question about like the difference? And so, so basically things flow, just go a lot, go a whole lot slower than they do out there in the States. And that's kind of a good, and you know, if you look at the bright side of it, there's less stress around your life. Um, so it does have a lot of, it depends on how you look at it. it it's all perspective, man. And I've learned, I've learned that everything is perspective. You can look at, you can look at things in, and just under different shades of light and just, you know, and that's part of maturing, I guess, and, you know, and stuff. So I'm going to play another song off of Juanita Dientes Verdes' album. It's a flower power. It's a 
if you click on the link in the information, you'll be taken right to the uh, to the song. And it's the second song off of their album.
That's Juanita Dientes Verdes. So after after you were up here in the states for a while, you moved back down to uh, Medellin with uh, with Nirvana, and you you introduced Nirvana to Medellin because, as you'd mentioned, there things are a little bit you know they still haven't happened yet, and you brought yeah, well, back then, right. So back back then we're talking about nineteen ninety ninety one. Um, there still wasn't internet, so there still wasn't all this free information floating around cyberspace and stuff. So pretty much the information you'd get would be from like magazines or, 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 you know, friends that are, you know, I guess wealthier friends who, you know, travel to Europe or the States and they bring back music, you know, and so, you know, they let you record music and stuff like that, that friends. I've got a bunch of friends, poor, middle class, rich class. You know, being a musician, you kind of just you know um, everybody relate with a bunch of different people. Yeah, plus because out here, um, um, social levels are very marked. They're very, you know, people that are poor, they talk a different way, they dress a different way than than people who are rich. So there's really distinct marks. So you kind of like, you know, being a musician in the arts, you kind of learn to float around and and talk to different people in different social levels and, and deal with them on their level. You know what I mean? Yeah. So to say. So, so when, when you got out there and you started to play, you started a uh, Juanita Dientes Verdes, right? Is that, that, is that still the yeah. band that you're working with? Is that still your project? No, well, um, no, we, we, we it, I came back. Well, we're talking about 1990 to 90, I'm sorry, 92 to 98. That's when the band um, was, you know, playing. Um, then after that, I went, I went to the States and what was it? 1999, came back here in 2008. And that's when we, we met. We did the band. Yeah, during that period, that's when we met over at Fernandez Guitars and then did a couple music projects together. Um, and then 2008, I came back and then I wanted to do my own thing because I had a whole bunch of ideas. And then um, I was hanging out with my first guitarist and he was like, dude, why don't we, why don't we put it, put the band back together and stuff like that? Cause right now out here, it's weird. Cause a lot of the rock bands that were here in the, in the early nineties, they went really, they don't exist anymore. And the bands that like the newer generations, they went really soft. So, and I don't know if it's right, and really poppy, kind of, right? or something like that, but it just, the whole, the whole scene in that sense of, of people just like, you know, trying to do their own thing just kind of died out. And it's more about kids trying to, uh, you know, get their music on the radio and try to get radio play. So in that sense, it, a lot of that sense was lost. So my guitarist, he's telling me, you know, we're hanging out, having a couple of beers. Um, and he's like, dude, let's, let's, let's put the Juanita, Juanita back together again. And uh, it'll give you enough exposure to, you know, show your own thing, you know. And I'm like, hey, that's a good idea. Let's do that. So I put my own thing on on unhold, did the Juanita thing. It turned out it didn't work out with him. Um, so I just, I just, re, you know, got a whole bunch of other and just re, reformed the band. Um, we did that for about two or three years. Um, put out two records and then played kind of like the like the larger festivals. But just a lot of stuff, and you know how I talk, was talking about flow. It, it just with twenty things, the better. Like the the newer breed just wasn't flowing, and I kind of felt myself more, um, like 
just dealing with situations that I didn't want as opposed to enjoying myself playing music. So that's kind of when I realized that I didn't want to do this anymore. But another thing that kind of pushed, pushed me toward it, I didn't want to be in Juanita and it's better than anymore because by the way, it's my band. I was, I, I was the leader of the band. Right. Um, was that I started doing, I started, I was just singing in that band, but I started taking up, I've always played guitar on my own, but I got really serious about playing the guitar and singing at the same time. So singing and playing guitar at the same time made my singing change, but the changes for the better. So like, it was just like me rising up again, like as the Phoenix, you know, rising out of the ashes and just kind of redefining myself from zero, not as, as a singer, but as a singer guitar player. So, and you know, one of the things that better for all those who don't know is like, like Mike was saying was, was pretty much a grunge alternative band had brought brought out to Colombia back in those days, early '90s, music from sub pop and stuff that you can't get out here. So we were like the first alternative grunge band, and and we're known for that as the fathers of grunge out here in Colombia. So, um, but like I said, it was just it was just it was just wasn't making me happy. And I was doing this other stuff, which was which was you know requiring me to you know I had to practice on my own to be able to sync up the lyrics with the with the, with the guitar playing and. And, you know, and, and it just, I, I just, I just felt, I felt it all over again as a, you know, when you first get into a band, that feeling. So I just went that direction and this. What's just that Juanita, feeling like? I was changing musicians because a lot of musicians who were coming in because Juanita is very known. Um, and it's very important to success is not synonymous of making money, <laughs> especially in the music industry. You know what I mean? Um, you can survive if you learn how to do, you know, move your things and stuff like that. But it's not, it's not a lot of money for you to make money. You got to sell thousands and thousands and thousands of records right. playing out, and there's this whole crew behind you. This is all a do-it-yourself kind of thing. Yeah, we were on a label and stuff like that. But it's, you know what I mean? It's just for people who don't really know. Um, yeah, what it does is being on a record label gets you known, so you get it's easier to book book shows. And that's where your money comes in from. You know what I mean? That's where your survival comes from. Because it's not money, really. No. You're, you're just surviving. But, you know, you learn how to simplify. And, 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 and then when you simplify, you live within your means. And then it becomes a lifestyle. And then and here, here I am, you know, 20, 25 years later, this is my lifestyle. And this is what I do. So by all means, I'm not rich. Um, but you know we have this new project and and we're pushing it and and it just feels good and 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 so I've learned to that's what my motivation is do things what feels good and and have proper intention behind things you know I'm not out there I'm not looking to feed my ego as as maybe once I did I'm out there I'm, I really want to inspire I wanna, um, and I I don't want to sound pompous like oh guys inspiring no i just like when i listen to music I love, it inspires me and i just want to i want to i want to push that forward you know what i mean yeah so you know hopefully i can inspire and in a good sense and and you know and and uh so so uh what else so are you still playing so, or you know, or have you hung up the mic for now Nah, I'm still playing, playing more than ever. Right now we have, uh, I have three bands. Um, so the band that I was in prior to, well, when you think they better started fading out, it was, it was Oh My God. 
my girlfriend sings and she plays the drums. It's a duo band and I play guitar. And on that band, I started doing choruses, um, backups. So that's when I started getting into it. And it was, it's very, <clears throat> I'd like to say lineal with what I've done. I haven't really changed styles because the Juanita thing was, uh, you know, hard alternative grunge and stuff. And now we kind of discover this whole thing where we started playing like, oh, and then all of a sudden the, the whole stoner thing started coming up and like, and we started taking an interest into it, you know, as stoners as we are, we're like, oh, what is this? Oh, very Black sabbath Oh, I'm digging it. You know, so, um, oh my God, has a lot of punk in it and it's got that stoner feel. So it's kind of like a fast stoner on your motorcycle riding through sandy, sandy road, you know, dirt roads and stuff like that. That's the kind of feel for it. So it's just, it's very lineal with what we're doing. Um, and then, you know, and then took that forward and it was like, okay, I'm not in Juanita in Tisbetas anymore. I mean, oh my, I'm, cause, cause the, I had sidetracked a little bit. So Juanita was very known. So the new musicians that I had, everybody wants money. <laughs> yeah. And there isn't a lot, there's a lot of money. So they would, you know, it, it'd be easier to find music, easy to find musicians. But when they find out the truth about it, it was like, yeah, we're, yeah, we get paid a thousand dollars, whatever, to do a show. But we got fucking bills to pay. We got, you know what I mean? We got, we we owe money. We owe all these fees. So it's like, no, we can't split it up four four ways. So that's kind of difficult for kids, you know, that are up and coming musicians that are really good because I had really good musicians and they're, you know, and they're and they need money too. So I understand their thing too. But you know, it is what it is. So it just kind of went into hiatus, and I just found myself playing with other musicians in these other bands and oh my god and in stoner love for example since those bands don't have a, a name for themselves already created everybody was whoever was coming into the band was coming into the band we're like, all right let's do this let's make this happen as opposed to the members in Huntington the best are oh, this already happened i'm going to be a part of it mm, i want to cash in too you know what i mean so with Juanito, we did a couple of the major festivals out here, did a couple of shows and put out two records. And then, uh, and that was kind of, and just kind of let it, let, you know, I just kind of let it, let it die out. So to say, I didn't even publicize it, that, that we're breaking up and I just kind of let it go into a hiatus. So it just fizzled. Yeah. Because you never know, somebody could come up and like offer us something and, and try to get the band together. And, you know, if the number's right, I'll probably do it. You know, me rehearse a month or two and, and pay everybody, and boom, you'd be gone your way. So I'm, you know, but whatever. But that's not in my intentions because I'm not doing it for money. But if it's there and it happens, you think about it, and you probably do it. So, so, so you've rec- or you've performed at uh, Rock All Park, eh, right? And I've I've looked that looked it up online, and it, it's a massive. Yeah, that's the, that's, that's a the, massive festival. Yeah, it, it brings in about at at any moment. It's got about eighty. 80,000 to 100,000 people at any given moment. So I, we played that festival a couple of times. It's pretty hard to get in there. Um, but yeah, but it's a cool festival. It's so the really first cool. time the first time you played that <laughs> stage, what was what was it like when you walked out on that stage and you looked out and you saw the audience and you turned around and you looked back at the band to like start that first song? What what would describe well, those moments? Well, the festival started off in 1994. It started off as a local, for local bands and international bands. And I was living, it's in the, the city of Bogota. So I lived in Medellin. But at, and then a couple of years into it, like 90, I, th- I think after like three or four years into it, like in 97, 
um, they open the uh, uh, they open it up to national bands. So not just bands from Bogota could play it, but bands from other cities in Colombia. And it was also an international fest. But they opened it up opened up the circuit for Colombia. And I was traveling back and forth in in in, in Bogota and living there months at a time also. So I was kind of between both cities and stuff like that. So I just started, you know, I managed, you know, I knew some people and I, you know, I managed to get on the, and on, on the first, on that first bill that they opened it up to, and this was 1997. It was really cool because um, we got to play in between two really well-known bands, one band from Argentina and another band from, uh, uh, from, Me- from Mexico. The Mexican band was Control Machete, which is like a, I want to say a Cypress Hill kind of type vibe and then there was uh, uh the argentinian band was animal and they're like uh i guess kind of i want to say like a neo-metal kind of type uh maybe like sepul no nah, not like well like kind of like neo-metal that was kind of like the metal that was in you know mid 90s and stuff like that right it was happening so they were pretty popular so we got to play in between both of them so it, the place was packed um it's it's yeah i mean it's it's actually, it's kind of weird because it's a feeling where like, oh my God, you know, a couple of days left, uh, you got, you know, and then you're, you're, you're sweaty palms right before that. But once you're out there, you know, it's, there's so many people and so massive and you can't really see anybody. It's kind of like, it's, it's, it's just more a personal sea, right? when you're at a bar. Yeah, it's just a sea of a mush of people, you know, and I use glasses. So I take off my glasses when I play. So it's even more of a mush. <laughs> um, what you do feel is when people up, the stage starts moving. It's incredible feeling. So you know, you you feel a roar as opposed to cheers and stuff like that. So it, it's 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 pretty weird. And it's all it's all something. All the mem, you know, all my memories of it. It's something I got to put back together because everything happens so quickly, and it's just like flashbacks of some. It's like when you're going out and you know you had a couple of drinks, and the next day you got to put everything back together. Well, that's kind of like the feeling, you know, uh, that's kind of like the feeling of playing Rock al Parque. Um, but if you break it down, I really enjoy playing more mid-sized gigs as opposed to larger gigs. Right. I like that, that personal vibe. And I like people being able to see my eyes, you know. So, so 300 people, 300 to 500, like that's mid-sized in my mind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you know, somewhere between five hundred to two thousand. Those are mid five to two thousand. Yeah, okay. Theaters and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Man, you know, it's uh, it's wild to think of your career because it's gone on for for quite some time, and you've played a lot of different venues. Um, one of the this last time that you moved from L.A. to down there, that was like two thousand eight. You were saying, um. You you bought a building and you were ta- starting to touch on how you had this idea of building the Guido Empire and you're gonna have uh, all the uh, you're gonna do like a record label more or less. Did that did that take off and what, what happened with that? Did you have to shut down or? No, everything everything that I've set forth to do I have done and I'm doing it at the moment. So the, re- the record label does exist. It's called Slovo Records, um, but it took a different form, and it kicked off in a different way that I thought it would t- take off. So um, 
it's just weird because that's the Columbia and you just kind of learn how to flow with it. Um, the Slovo label is now has become a collect. It was the label around Juanita and Verdes. Um, but then, you know, I just realized being with more bands on the label, it's easier to push it and have, you know, have a catalog as opposed to one or two, two or three items, you know, when you're dealing with distributors and stuff like that. So I just give them a, a, a pamphlet and here you go, man, choose which, what you need. Um, so pretty much that's what we did. And then, um, we also noticed that a lot of bands were pushing themselves, doing their own thing. And so the whole idea of, 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 you know, joining efforts, um, kind of made sense, you know, advertising as opposed to one band doing one advertising, we'll do, we'll, well, everybody will chip in together and we'll, we'll put out, we'll advertise in a magazine or something, you know, and, and, you know, put the catalog or something like that. So it was just easier to weigh and it kind of represents a little bit more if you've got, you know, more bands and it's, it just, it starts having more weight, you know, and it kind of helps you because people see that, you know, who are you, what are you with, who are you with and stuff like that. And it's all just kind of comes into place and, and makes things a little more important. You know, if you got like a whole scene behind you or, or a whole, a whole scene you're pushing, pushing with and stuff like that. So, it just kind of makes things look look a little more serious. So what's the equipment like? Is it still like when when we met? You used to say like the equipment here was much better because we had such access to it. With the with, with the access right, yeah. of eBay, is it still the same way where you don't have access to stuff, or has that changed a bit? Well, commerce, they've opened up commerce, so it's easier to, I can order anything I want from the U.S. and stuff like that, as opposed to in the early 90s and the 80s. Um, out here, there was no equipment back then. Every We do shows, and, you know, somebody would have a guitar, somebody would have a bass player, somebody would have an app, and then everybody would put it together, and we'd have, you know, all this dinky little equipment we'd put on a little show. Um, little by little, you know, things start happening, importing, stuff like that, more as the music scene started growing as well, there's a big music scene out here. It's just not rock and roll. Um, it's it's uh, salsa and cumbia and uh, you know traditional kinds of music, which use different kinds of in, in, in instrumentation. So as rock and urban music and um, more modern type stuff started happening in the 80s and 90s, well, the market started opening up. But parallel to that. The economy, obviously, it's third world. So it's like a, it's the third world. It's a, it's like the top of the third world, so to say. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. Um, so it's not the poorest third world country by all means. It's one of the richest third world countries. Um, at a point where some people don't even want to consider it a third world, but, but there is a lot of, you know, poverty out here. So it is third world. Um, the minimum payout here. You know, you can't, it's really, you got to have a couple minimum pays to get by out here, um, really. So with equipment and stuff like that, and back in the day, equipment was going, you know, manufacturing, manufacturing China, Korea, or, or, or Asia, or whatever, ship them to the U.S., and the U.S. would ship out to South America. Well, you know how much goes there in shipping and, and transportation? Nowadays, um, if you're a dealer out here and you want to order from an American company. Well, you can order direct from their, from their manufacturer out in China and, and, a, and a shipment will come straight out here. So that'll save you on shipping. So in that sense, um, equipment has become a little bit more affordable 
but not to say that still the economy is difficult here. So the equipment is out here is is a little bit subpar to what it where it should be. Um, so that's what we try to do. You know, we try we, you know, we we have our tube amps and stuff like that, and we you know we try to sound as as proper and as decent as possible. Um, but definitely there's a there's a big difference in equipment and and out here. Um, I guess the kids are they're they're not educated properly as far as you know the up and coming musicians because you go to a rehearsal room out here and the rehearsal rooms have everything drums and everything you go to a rehearsal room out in the states all you have is like a PA and then you got to bring in your equipment and if right. you drums or, or whatever or an amp you 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 rent them out out here the rehearsal rooms they're all fully equipped so that kind of in an essence doesn't teach kids to have their own sound. So they'll go to a show and then all the shows here, here, they have to have backline. So you have right. backline companies renting. So you look in that essence. So there's, there's infrastructure, money-making infrastructure around everything except for the musicians. So when the kids out here, they're playing, I'm sorry if I'm sidetracking and stuff like that, but it's really important. But anyway, when the kids do a show out here, there's so much expense and there's so little public audience to go to a show that it's, it's not profitable. So the kids pretty much know that it, it, on a good night, they'll make, they'll, they'll make, they'll break, break even, you know, paying the backline company or, or the PA guy, you know what I mean? Right. For, for small. Even. So, so that's the big difference out here. So there isn't a lot, I mean, you can get whatever you want because there's out here, like I said, the, the social differences, are really, really distinct. So there's people that are really poor. Then there's people that are really, really rich. And I mean, really rich. So there's that, there's a really big distinction and that's why they act differently and talk differently and stuff like that. But, um, but yeah, most of the kids, like we play a lot with the bands from Cali. Cali's another major city in, 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 in Colombia. And what we notice all the kids in Cali, they all, they all come from really, you know, well-to-do families, you know, uh, so they have good equipment as opposed to the bands out here where, you know, they, they're kind of subpar. They're still playing transistor, smaller amps and stuff like that. So it's it just kind of, it's just kind of different. It's weird, but definitely there is space for more, for more good equipment. There's a couple, there's a, there's an amp builder out here. That's really cool. And I, I work a lot with him because he endorses us. He's uh, an Australian guy who moved out here a couple of years and just like me came out here and fell in love with the place. He married a Colombian girl and then and just got organized. It's called Lovell, Lovell Music Lab. Um, he manufactures amps and and pedals and stuff like that. Um, so he's he's really cool. And but he still doesn't do bass amps. So what less? It's really hard to get good bass equipment out here. You know, you being a bass player, um, <laughs> right? I you know all I use is a DI anymore. <laughs> We've got, I've, you know, I've been in this for years and years. So little by little, you know, you start getting your own things and you get your things together. And, you know, we're, we're tone conscious and there's not a lot of tone consciousness out here, but we try to, uh, we try to, uh, you know, spread that, spread that idea of being tone conscious and have your own tone as opposed to going out on stage and play with the amp that the blast band played with and, you know, and sounding exactly the same. So we, we, we're trying to add them. We're, adamant on trying to sound a little bit different than everybody else well that's awesome man um i'm gonna get some links from you and put some links up on the uh 
on the info section, so everyone should look down and hit a link and click on it and find some of the Guido's music or Guy, and uh, mm-hmm. you know check up on it. He's got a lot of really good stuff. So um, thanks for being on the show, Guy. Cool, man. It was nice talking to you, Mike. It's definitely been a while. Yeah, absolutely. So that was Guy Yanez, or sorry, that's his uh, American name. His Colombian name is Aguido Zaza. And I want to thank uh, Sarah Alt for being on the show, too. And I'm going to play one more song of Guy's for you guys.
Thanks for listening. Show your support by subscribing and sharing. Music from people I know.